You're listening to the Oaks Church, a faith family located in Denham Springs, Louisiana. For more information about the Oaks, visit oaksonline.org. You'll turn with me to Romans chapter 1. And our focus will be verse 8 through 15 this morning. As we look at and we think about Paul's letter and we think about this encouragement that he's writing, this personal letter that he has penned to the believers in Rome, he starts off in verse 1 and he says this, he says, Paul, a bondservant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And what Paul is doing here is right away he's establishing three things. He's establishing his position and he says, I am a, I am a bondservant of Christ. He's saying that I am personally owned by Christ. That this is not my life that I live, but it's Christ. And so right away, I want to establish my position found under the authority of Christ. It's not I, Paul. We've seen Paul do this in multiple letters that he's written. And he's establishing his position here before the Roman uh, church. And he says, I am a bondservant of Christ. And then he goes on to say this. He says, called as an apostle. So he's established his position, and now he's establishing his authority. Now this is important. This is huge. Don't miss it. He's established his authority found in Christ. He says, I am an apostle, one who is sent with a message, one who is sent to delegate authority. That's what this word means. So Paul says, I am an apostle, a called apostle. If we were to look at this in the original letter, it's better rendered to us as a called apostle because Paul was clearly appointed. He didn't choose it. He didn't raise his hand and say, hey, I want to be Apostle of Christ. It kind of just slapped him in the face on the road to Damascus. I think you remember that story. And so he wasn't, he didn't volunteer for it, but he was called through Christ. And so he was divinely called. And the Lord said this to Ananias in Acts 9.15. He says, he is chosen, he is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, the kings and the sons of Israel. And so Paul is an apostle. Who are apostles? It's translated as a word that is a person sent, sent with a message. So in its broadest term, in its broadest picture of what the apostle looks like or what is an apostle, it is us. We are sent with a message. We are people that are sent with a message. But now here in Scripture, though, to be more specific, right here in Scripture, the term is uniquely titled because it was... For the twelve, the apostles, it was for Matthew who replaced Judas, it was for Paul who personally chose and was commissioned by Christ and by His authority to proclaim the gospel and to lead the early church. And so there's a uniqueness to it. So in the broadest term, don't be confused, I'm not saying you can write Scripture and you can be an apostle. We're not going to have a new book come out, you know, the book of Jason. We're not saying that, but what we're saying in its broadest term, you are a people that have been instilled in you with a message. That message can be carried out through Christ. And so, to flip the page, this, as an apostle, called an apostle, Paul has authority. He has the authority to teach and to delegate his power through what, the, what Christ, the risen Lord, has given to him and has commissioned him with. And so he says, Paul, in verse 1, is Paul, a bondservant of Christ. It's not my life, but it's his life. A called an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. And so Paul establishes here his mission. He establishes his mission that he is set apart 
for the gospel God, that he is set apart for a message, the good news that is centered around the Son, Jesus Christ, and not around Paul, and that he is eager to teach this message, as we'll see later on. And so I love this word, set apart, and we know what it means, separate, to be holy, uh, set apart for God's purpose. And I love what Paul writes here. He says this, look what he says, he says, set apart for the gospel of God. Ever wonder why he tagged that on there? We know Paul, we're reading, and he's sending the letters to believers. Why did he tag on there to God? Back in the day, if you didn't know Caesar, multiple Caesars, they always wanted the people to worship them in deity. (laughs) They proclaimed deity. Caesar did. And so Paul is making this clear in his letter. He's saying, look, this is the gospel which I'm coming to you with, the authority through Christ, that it's not me, but that I'm a bondservant to Christ, that I don't own my own life, but he owns my life. And so when I approach you as an apostle, as one called with his authority, not my own, this is the good news of Christ. Jesus of God. And so I love it here. He says this. He says, set apart for the gospel of God, not for Caesar. I don't have good news to tell you about what Caesar has done or what Caesar is going to do. I've come to tell you about Christ. His life. And I want to establish that. I want to establish my mission, Paul, and our mission to lead in the truth of Christ. So Paul teaches the truth Throughout Romans, we see that he teaches the truth of the doctrine of salvation to the believers in Rome. Why? Because at this point, no one has been to Rome. There's no evidence in Scripture where we've seen Peter or any of the apostles that have come there to establish the truth of the good news. And so, Paul's writing this letter to Rome to establish that. Now, we believe that, you know, first you're thinking, well, how in the world did they come to trust Christ? Well, we believe from multiple scholars as we look into Scripture that they were part of the 3,000 on the day of Pentecost and that they, they, they migrated back to Rome. And so in that, there's a truth that they know and understand about the Gospel and that they have faith in, they trusted in. They don't have clarity. And so Paul's writing this letter. But before that, before we get to the doctrine of salvation, this is what Paul writes. And this is where I want to settle in this morning. So if you're looking with me at Romans Chapter 1, verse 8. Listen what he writes to the believers in Rome. He says this, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. For God, whom I serve in the Spirit and preaching the Gospel of His Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers, making requests. If perhaps now, at the last, by the will of God, I may succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you among, uh, among you, each of us by the other's faith, by yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I plan to come to you and I have seen, I have been prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you as even among you the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. So Paul is wanting to establish a rapport or a connection or a bond with this small group of believers in the midst of Rome, in the midst of their persecution. And so he writes this letter. He pins this personal note to them. 
and he encourages them. And there's a few things that I want to take from this message. And the title of it is Our True Spiritual Service. What does it mean? What does that mean? What is true spiritual service? True spiritual service is this. It's that which edifies the universal church while exalting the glory of God. That's what our service is. It's that which we do that edifies the universal church that brings glory to God. So our spiritual service is that. And from this, I think there's eight key marks that we can look at. And we'll start in verse 8. And the first mark is this, a thankful spirit. Look at verse 8. It says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. The whole world here is just a, it's a hyperbole for the meaning of Rome, the Roman Empire. Obviously, it wasn't the whole world. It was the Roman Empire. And so Paul, Paul was not only thankful for what God has done in his life up to this point when he's penning the letter, but he says this. He says, I'm thankful for you. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. Look at the testimony that's, that's flowing back to Paul. Paul's hearing of this group of, of Christians, believers, in the midst of Rome being persecuted. And he's hearing this and he's saying, I'm thankful for this. And so the question is, is our spirit thankful for that? Are we thankful for the testimonies of those that we hear, our brothers and sisters in the Lord, in different communities, in different worlds, in different um, uh, states, in different countries? Are we thankful for that? I hope that you are. I hope that your spirit is thankful for that. And as we move on, we'll see how Paul approaches that. But Paul says this, he says, I give thanks through Jesus Christ, our eternal mediator. Look at John 14, 6. He says this, no one comes to the Father but through me. And the first Timothy 2, 5 says, there is one God, one mediator, also between God and man, Jesus Christ. Paul was thankful for, encouraged by the power of their testimony. So we must be thankful, we must be encouraged by the power of the testimonies within our faith family, within this community, within this world, so that we can share that, so that others can be encouraged and empowered to live for Christ. So the second mark of true spiritual service is this, a concerning spirit. Look at verse 9 and 10. It says, For God, whom I served in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of His Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you, always in my prayers, making requests. Paul had a concerning spirit about his fellow believers because he knew that the odds were against them, both physically and spiritually. Uh, he knew this better than any of us. And without God's provision, he, he knew that with, with strong faith, we could even falter, we could even waver. And so Paul reads, he says, for I am... He says, there, for, for God, whom I serve in the Spirit and is preaching the gospel of His Son, is my witness as how unceasingly I make mention of you. And so these are two phrases. How unceasingly I make mention of you and always in my prayers. These are two phrases that stick out to me when I'm looking at the Scripture. Because he says it's not, I make mention of you, not for like this pat on the back. He's not trying to get them to be like, yeah, Paul's talking. Hey, thanks, Paul. Thanks for mentioning me. It's not a pat on the back. But what it is here, it's a form of encouragement to them. That as their testimony has echoed through the Roman Empire to Paul, that as Paul makes mentions of it, that it will echo back to them. That they're bond together. That they serve together. They're united together in Christ. And so it says, I make mention of you 
not to get pat you on the back, but not for my pat on the back to say, look, I'm talking about the people in Rome, but it's for an encouragement so that the testimonies will be echoed back. And then he goes on to say this. He says, always in my prayers. Always in my prayers. What a form of encouragement. What a form of encouragement. I, I, I challenged some of my high school students we meet on Tuesday nights. And I asked one of them, I said, how long do you, have you known each other? And the guy's like, yeah, a couple years, whatever, we're friends. I said, how many times ago have you prayed for him? He said, none. I said, you, you call yourselves believers? So I challenged him. I think this is what Paul's doing here. He says, man, I'm hearing these testimonies, and I know what's going on in Rome. I know the persecutions that you're facing. And so I'm always, in verse 10, it says, I always in my prayers am making requests for you. Are we doing that? Do we have a concerning spirit about us as believers? Are we making mention? Are we praying for our brothers and sisters in the world? So key, so huge as believers. We have a concerning spirit about those that we walk and link arms with in faith. So always in my prayer, this is a form of empowerment. God, this, this spirit is so concerning for those who walk with Him in the Lord. And then the third mark is this. In verse 10, the second part of verse 10, is a willing and submissive spirit. I know none of us struggle with this, so we'll go through pretty quick. Uh, it says this, if perhaps now at least by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. Paul did not serve in his own direction with his own authority, but he served that which was the will of God. And so as much as he longed to be with the people of Rome, as much as he's hearing the stories and the testimonies, he says, you know what, I want to link arms with these guys. I want to go to battle. I'm eager, we'll read that later, I'm eager to fight with these guys, to minister the gospel, to link arms. But he says, you know what, right now God has me somewhere else. And my heart wants to be there. But my heart first falls in that which is the Lord. And so Paul says that, he says, perhaps... Perhaps now at last the will of God will land me there. <laughs> I will come, I will come and see you and minister with you. But he has to be willing and be submissive. So is our spirit willing? Is it submissive? Are we thinking about those things? Are we praying about certain things as we as we walk this life, as we move through this life? Are we surrendering and being uh, submissive to the Spirit of God? That's a spiritual service. That's a spiritual service to the body. We see that in Paul. Paul was needed in this, was needed here and not in Rome. And so that brought glory to the body of believers. Because he's accomplishing the will of the Father and not the will of, of Paul. And so be submissive and be willing to chase after Christ and not ourselves. And so Mark 4 is this. True spiritual service is a loving spirit. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gifts to you that you may be established. It says, For I long or I labor to see you. Paul wants to go to Rome. Paul wants to serve. He wants to link arms. He's not doing it for self-motivation just to say, I went to Rome, but he really is eager to be there and to love on these brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ, and to link arms. 
And so he says, for I long to see you so that you may impart some spiritual gifts to you that you may be established. In this part where it says impart some spiritual gifts, it's, it's, it's by preaching, teaching, exalting, comforting, praying, guiding, encouraging. That's what he wants to do. He wants to love them. When we think of how people love us, that's how they love us. They encourage us. They support us. And that's what Paul wants to do. He says, so that you may be established in Christ. Ephesians 4.15 says, to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. This is Paul's mission. This is why Paul loves the Roman church. This is why he wants to be there. This is why he wants them to be established. And so then Mark number 5 A true spiritual service is a humble spirit. Look at verse 12. It's a humble spirit. It says, that, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul understood humility. He understood that there's only one that is greater, and that is our Lord Jesus Christ. He understood that iron sharpens iron. He understood that he didn't take his power, his authority, his apostleship and lord it over them. But he understood that he humbled himself or that he would humble himself and come and serve with them. That's the language that he hears here. He says that I may be encouraged together with you while among you. Each of you, us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. That is a partnership, that we're united together. So it's a humble spirit. He didn't come in with this pride and say, you know what? I'm an apostle. You guys follow after me. Do what I say. And that's the end. But he did like Christ. He came in and he said, let me serve you. Let me show you. Let me be a servant leader. And by that, his authority would be established. So Paul had a humble spirit and who better to know this than Paul, the one who was, had a great position of power as a Pharisee and who was humbled on the road to Damascus. He said, I was the chief sinner. I've done it all. But God humbled him. And so I, I pray that our hearts are humbled as we look at ministry, as we think of our spiritual service to those around us in our community and in our world. That it's not our way or the highway, but that we stand focused on the will of God and that we minister in a spirit that is humbling and that shows Christ and not me, not Jason, not you. That my ideas aren't that that need to be uh, come to fruition, but it's God's will and that it's His idea and His service. And so I pray that, that that's a mark of us, that we are humble spirits that walk before God as Paul did and that we want to link arms with others. Mark number six is this, of spiritual uh, service, true spiritual service, is a fruitful spirit. Verse 13, it says, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you, and I have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as some, as among the rest of the Gentiles. And he says, I do not want you to be unaware he says, for long, I mean, we see it in Paul's heart. We see it in his letters. He's pinning to them. He said, don't, don't be unaware. I want to be there. I want to minister to you. But right now, I need to be somewhere else. And he says, so that I may obtain 
some fruit among you in verse 13. God has called us to bear fruit. When we think of our spiritual service, if we're not bearing fruit, if we're not bearing fruit for the kingdom of God, I would pray that you reevaluate your position in Christ. We are called to bear fruit. And Paul wants to do that anywhere and everywhere he goes. And so we must have a fruitful spirit. But I love this in John 16, John 15, 16. Note this. Jesus says this. He says, You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you that you would go and bear fruit. That your fruit would remain. This is not a request of believers. This is a demand. That we bear fruit for the kingdom of God. It's not a legalistic duty as a believer, but it's a desire that breeds obedience and that gives birth to a fruitful lifestyle. That is our call. That is our call. It's not legalistic, but that we're compelled, that we have a desire in us to be obedient. And that from that obedience, fruit will flourish. Fruit will flourish. So as Paul longed to bear fruit, as Paul longed to come to see and minister and link arms, I pray that we long for that too. That our walk bears fruit. Mark number seven is this. True spiritual service as an obedient spirit. True spiritual service as an obedient spirit. Verse 14, I am under obligation both to the Greeks, to the barbarians, both to the wise, and to the foolish. And Paul says, I am under obligation, meaning that he's under obligation to uh, the highly educated, the, the non-educated, the poor. The, it doesn't matter. I'm under obligation to serve those who I walk among. And so our spirit is to be obedient no matter the circumstance, no matter who we sit before, no matter who we, what room we walk into, whether work, school, it does not matter. We don't look at them as some outcast or some position or some in society that we look at them in the eyes of Christ and that we serve them. Just as Paul says, whether Greek, barbarian, whether wise or foolish, it doesn't matter. I know that their soul is empty. And I know that they're longing thirsting for something more in this life. And that's what I have, the gospel of Christ, and I want to minister to them. So Paul is obedient. Paul was obedient to God no matter the cultural status because Paul knew that their souls were at stake. He knew their souls were at stake. And so the last mark we see, true spiritual service, is this, an eager spirit. Look at verse 15. It says, Thus, for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Listen to this definition of eager. It's pretty neat. And it's kind of redefined what I think when I use the word eager. <laughs> but it says this, it says, marked by enthusiasm, which we know, and then it says this, or impatient desire. It's an impatient desire in us. Is there an impatient desire in us? And this is the question I've asked myself. Is there an impatient desire within me Share the gospel. Think about that. 
we walk amongst this community, we walk amongst people in our life, in our circle of life, are we impatiently designed to give them the gospel, the good news? Are we like, it's like right there, and I'm like, I'm just waiting for this guy to say something because I'm about to lay it down on him, you know what I'm saying? I'm about to minister to this guy. And, and we kind of joke and laugh about that, but so many times we kind of crawl back. But is it, are we eagerly awaiting this opportunity as Paul was? We can see it throughout his letter. He wanted to be at Rome. He wanted to minister. He wanted to minister wherever he went. So do we have this enthusiasm about us? Do we have this impatient desire about us to give the gospel to those who don't know it? So I challenge you to think through that. To think through an eager spirit just as Paul had. And so here's our response. As Job comes back up, our response to the letter in Rome to the Roman believers is really to dig in and to evaluate our spiritual service to the Lord and to really think about these eight points and where am I lacking? Where do I need help? Where have I missed the mark? Do I have a thankful spirit? Am I one that is truly thankful for the work of our brothers and sisters in the Lord? Am I really thankful for that? Am I really expressing that? Or do I only think of myself and what I'm doing and what I'm accomplishing in the Lord? Do I have a concerning spirit? Do I pray for them always? Do I make mention of their testimonies? Am I sharing it? Am I eager to share that with the world? Do I have a willing and submissive spirit to the Lord? Even though Jason wants to do this, I need to submit here first. Do I have a loving spirit about me? Do I want to link arms and love the world with all believers? Do I have a humbled spirit? Am I boastful? Am I proud in what I've accomplished? Or did I humble myself and surrender to the will of God and understand my position in Christ? Do I have a fruitful spirit? Does my life bear fruit? Do I look like I did on day one when I've accepted the Lord that I do now on day 5,000? Do I look the same or am I bearing fruit? Is my life bearing fruit? Am I obedient to the Spirit? Am I obedient to follow? And then last, do I have an eagerness about me? An eagerness about me that wants to give the Gospel to a lost and dying world. A world that only knows truth through their own lens. That only knows truth in self-indulgence. That only knows truth in self-interest. Self-sacrifice. Thinks of no one else. And am I eager to serve them in a way that brings glory to the Father? These are the marks of a true Christian. These are a true spiritual service. That we think of others, that we love others, that we share testimonies with others, that we encourage others, that we lift others up, that we are concerned, that we love, that we submit, that we are humble, that we are eager. 
So I challenge you this morning to evaluate yourself and how appropriate is that as we enter into the Lord's Supper. God calls us to evaluate ourselves. Where are we missing the mark? So respond. Respond to the message. Feel free to pray. Feel free to grab someone. Allow the Spirit of God to move. Come talk with me. Pray with me. Let me pray. Father, Your Word is so good. We thank You that You revealed Yourself to us in, in this love letter. In this love letter that we call the Bible. Thank You that it is so true and good 